Last week, millions of people uh, turned in, tuned in, to watch a game. And why did millions of people tune in to watch a game on the internet or on television? Why did they do that? Well, uh, you could say it's part of our culture. You could say uh, there's a love for sports, and you know it's the big game. It's the Super Bowl. Um, it's the culmination of the football season. Uh, but there's something deeper to it than that. There's something within us that likes a good battle. There's something within us that wants to, to see that's drawn to a battle. Um, maybe I, I was thinking about this idea of, of the, the battle, and I can remember even as early as junior high when they called it that, uh, you know, whenever there was a, uh, two guys that were having a knockdown drag out. There was a, a corner. It was a cross. Couldn't do it on school grounds, but there was a there was a, a circle of kids that were drawn to watching two guys duke it out. Okay, why? Why does that draw a crowd? Whether it's football or, or a boxing match or, or or two sports teams going at it. There, there's and by the way, sports is a way that battles draw a crowd, but it's not the way. You know, there's the big dog versus the underdog. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know much about football, but uh, I, I know that the Patriots have won a number of times. And so there's a lot of people watching the Super Bowl just to watch the Patriots lose. They just were in hopes that that would happen. Uh, they, they, they're, they're rooting, you see, for the underdog. They're rooting for the, for, the, for the little guy, the reigning champ versus the new contender. There's that aspect of it. Let's move past sports and think about politics. I mean, our, our culture is pretty calm and placid when it comes to uh, politics, so this is probably not a big deal. But, um, you know, people like to duke it out when it comes to politics. Uh, I've pulled out my popcorn, as no doubt you have if you're on social media, just to read through the comments section and watch people duke it out, watch people go to battle. Um, there's debates, there's campaign slogans, they get down in the mud a little bit. People get engaged in that. Because it's a battle of ideas, duking it out. In, in entertainment, when you think about a good book, a good movie, uh, it, it, most any of that always culminates to the final battle scene uh, with the hero and the protagonist, with the, with the, the, the villain and the hero uh, going back and forth. And you, you have the sense that the hero is going to win because it's going to make a terrible movie if it doesn't. But what draws you to pay Seven to ten dollars for a movie uh, to, to go watch out on the big screen. There's something in you that's wired to a battle, that's drawn to a battle scene. Even in church, stories like David and Goliath. I mean, in, in the whole redemption story and the story of Jesus, David and Goliath is just a tiny part. But how, my goodness, how many VBSs, how many children's because of that battle? It's it's the big guy versus the little guy. It's the giant. It's the fear. It's it's all of that. We're, even in church, we're drawn to a battle scene or something attractive about two opposing forces going at it and coming together to see which one will emerge victorious. Well, tonight we're gonna have. Front row, ringside seats, if you will, to a battle. Uh, not the only battle that Jesus will fight, but a battle uh, between Jesus and evil itself. If you're following along in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, as we go along, 
on our series called Life with Luke, we are endeavoring to look, just take this orderly account from Luke. It's not a chronological account, we've said. It's, it's an orderly account where he groups these things together. And uh, we read this story in Luke chapter 4, verse 31 through 37. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, this audience is just aghast at my voice abilities. They, they are very entertained. I've really worked on that, by the way. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had come out and thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. This is a short story. And I think there's a lot of lessons for us to learn and hopefully to apply. The first one is, the first thing we see in this encounter, this battle, is that a possessed man shouts out. Now, if we go to the text, we've been kind of following along Jesus on his journey. And as we've followed him along, we see that, you know, last week they kicked him out of Nazareth. They tried to throw him off the cliff there in his hometown. And Jesus is now back at Capernaum, uh, having been kicked out. Uh, And so, as was his custom, even though he's not at home, he's doing what he did at home. He's doing what he did in a lot of places, teaching in the synagogue. And by the way, this is not the only time that we'll see Jesus teaching in the synagogue. It was a common practice. We've talked about that. And we'll see at least four more times when the story of Jesus takes place in the synagogue. Uh, If you want a little more information about the history of the synagogue, uh, go and review the lessons on the podcast. Uh, they were in the synagogue. They were drawn to Jesus specifically because of his amazing teaching and the way he taught. That, that he taught as someone who knew what he was talking about. Matthew chapter seven is is a tangential account, but the, in Matthew seven twenty eight twenty nine the. Matthew records these words. When Jesus finished these things, saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Here's Jesus, uh, great teacher that he was, but teaching with effective authority. And they were just impressed, obviously, from a young age at his knowledge of the scripture, at his wisdom, at his understanding of the word. He taught the word as though he had written the word himself. Strange. Among the God-fearing people wanting to hear the word of God comes a voice of mockery. Uh, Possessed by a spirit, this terminology means he's under internal control of a demon. Um, That seems to happen on more than one occasion in Jesus' ministry and in Jesus' life. Why 
Uh, was this allowed to happen? We'll get into that in just a second. But, but why, is the, why is the man with a demon here coming to see Jesus? Did, was he already there? Did a, did a demon come up and take possession of this man in a moment? Or was he already present? The scripture does not say. What we do know is from this and other accounts that Jesus was known, uh, <clears throat> not only known in the physical world, this, his popularity is growing, but Jesus was known in the spiritual world. Jesus, I mean, from the moment they cast eyes upon him or saw him in the spiritual sense, in every encounter, they know who Jesus is. And we talked about this morning that in our world, Jesus came to us in a rather unassuming way. It wasn't until he began to teach and to preach and to do miracles that he began to gain notoriety. But even then, he was misunderstood. With the demons, with the spiritual world, in every encounter, there is absolutely no mistaking who they know Jesus is. Luke chapter 4, verse 41, which we are not in tonight, but we will get to. Uh, this account to me was interesting. While curing the sick, Jesus was approached by demons who called out, You are the Son of God. Jesus rebuked them and ordered them not to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. There's something at play here. And, and it's so hard for us really to get our minds around this because this is, this is physical this physical world, what Jesus is dealing with and the, the, the elements he's dealing with are spiritual in nature. But make no mistake, they all know who he is. They all know what he's capable of. They all understand his power. Luke chapter 8, verse 28, uh, the story of the possessed man living among the tombs. When the, the man with the demon saw Jesus, he cried out, he fell before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment Okay, all of the demons are in clear, absolute, undeniable understanding of who Jesus is, what his power is, and what his ability is. Each of these times, this time in Luke chapter 4, in our story tonight, and in other times, we see a common thread. Number one, these demons know Jesus. They recognize him immediately. Number two, they know his authority let us alone. Leave us alone. I mean, they understand that if Jesus says the word, they have to do what he says. Now, now, take that into consideration. These are demons used to running, taking control here in the spiritual world. They seem to do that with the bodies of those that they inhabit. And they take control of their mind and their spirit and their flesh, and they cause them to do different things. They are in charge. But now the demons come up against one that, that they cannot argue with. The third thing is they understand his power. Have you come to destroy us? They know fully he's within his uh, rights to do so. Demon possession is a weird subject. And we get that question often on Know Your Bible. And there's different elements to it. I've never seen a first-hand demon possession. Maybe Maybe you've seen that. Um, I think there's a reason why we don't see it as much in the developed world, but that's for another part of the message. But I want to tell you a story about the first baptism of 2018. The first baptism of 2018 did not happen in a church service. We got a knock at the door in January, and an unusual woman came to the office and said she wanted to see a minister. I was the lucky guy. 
And she came in and she said she wanted to be baptized. Now, I, I don't know this woman. I haven't seen this woman. To my knowledge, she hasn't been here uh, since I met her. But she was telling me a, a story of her life that it was clear there were things at work in her life that were bigger and deeper and darker than anything I had ever seen or experienced. And she wanted to be baptized like right then. And I said, well, I, I mean, okay, I mean, I won't, we'll do it. We got the water here. That's not a problem. Do you understand why you're doing it? We talked about the scriptures. Uh, I said, you know, this is a commitment. I mean, this is a, this is a following Jesus. It's not a matter of getting wet and all of that. Yeah, yes, yes, I, I know. I want to turn back. I, want, I don't want any of it. And she, at one point we were talking, talking along, and I, and I said, you know, it's a matter of, of, of leaving sin behind and, and going toward Jesus. And, and that means you can't, I mean, I'm trying to say to her, you can't, if you've been living in a sinful way, baptism isn't going to change that. You have to make a decision. You can turn away from sin. And she just looked at me cold and stone as if she had experienced things that she wasn't about ready to tell me. And she said, then I repent. Please baptize me. Now, this is an unusual situation. I mean, we don't have this happen all the time. So anyway, we, we studied a little bit more, and I told her why she was doing it. And we got a few of the office staff to come in, and there weren't many. And I take her confession, you know, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And she says, yes, I do. And... And we go back there, and fortunately, thankfully, Elaine Denman was here, and so she helped her back there. And while she was changing, Elaine sensed what I sensed. Now, I, don't misunderstand. I am not implying that this woman was demon-possessed. I'm just saying she had, had encountered dark stuff that was not my normal experience, okay? Now, Elaine said to me, she had talked with Elaine a little bit too, she said, if this woman has anything or has had anything to do with the occult or demon possession or anything like that, when you pray, you need to, to in, invoke the name of Jesus often. And she was serious. And I took her seriously. I don't know. This was unusual. So we baptized her and we prayed. And I had never said the word of Jesus so much and so often, so frequently in that 60-second prayer. But you understand the reason that I did that was because I understood that, that in ways that probably were beyond explanation, there was something here, and there was a battle happening within this woman, and there were things at work that were stronger than I was. She wasn't rolling around on the floor and possessed in the ways of the man of the story. I'm telling you that to say, What happens here is a demonstration of something greater than us. These are little stories that we kind of just read over and say, well, that's kind of weird and that doesn't really happen anymore. And so we kind of just go, okay, well, Jesus cast the demon out. But there are, there are very big implications for us, for we in Christ. And we'll go on and talk a little more about that. But, but this woman, I, you know, we've baptized her. As far as I know, she's my sister in Christ. I have not seen her since. What happened in that battle, I don't know. But you and I, when we take the step of following Jesus and being obedient to Jesus, we become high-value targets. There's something that the enemy is doing that we, at great, great 
foolishness ignore if we don't understand the spiritual battle that comes with being in Christ. So that wasn't new to Jesus. It's not new to us. It may look different, okay? I, Admittedly, the demon possessions and the stories of that, how they happen in Jesus' life look a lot different than I've seen in being a Christian for 28 years. But that doesn't mean they don't happen. They just happen a little less obviously, I think. So the second thing we see here is... A powerful Messiah stands firm. Despite the demon, Jesus does exactly as you would expect. Now imagine this picture, okay? You've got this crowd of people in a synagogue. They've come to hear Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. And all of a sudden you've got this weird guy standing up and talking in strange ways and clearly not in control of his own, of his own self. He's controlled by something of another world. And the first command that Jesus gives him is... Silence. Jesus silences the voices of evil. In in the story of um, Moses, part of the story of Moses, in Exodus chapter 4, there's this interesting account. Chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, if you care to follow along. Then the Lord said to him, this is when he's going back and forth with Pharaoh, and Moses is like, I, don't, I can't do it. I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to say the right things. And so God says to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God's still in control. And, and if it's true in the physical world, it's certainly true in the spiritual world. I have had occasions when I have said something that was smarter than me. And, and you've all had that experience too. You're like, that didn't come from levering. Where did that came from? That's, that's not Toby. Okay? Did, did God force the, you know, he, he makes the mouth. He, he makes the control of the tongue. And that's part of his ability to do. I think when the spirit resides in us, sometimes you come to a difficult situation you have to have a conversation you don't want to have. You have to pray with certain about, someone about a situation that seems unclear which way to go. And all of a sudden you're praying or you're saying things that you didn't plan to say or think about. It just kind of comes to you. We need to remember that God has the power of over the mouth, not just in the spiritual world, but also in the physical world. Psalm chapter 8. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established, catch this, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. That's one part of a battle. I mean, right, that's, that's one part, especially in the area of politics. I mean, the goal is to get your opponent to, to be quiet, to, to, to wow them with an argument, to do some sort of argumentative jujitsu that makes them just go, oh, or to force them by government hand. In some form or another, we have to get the other side to be quiet, to shut up. The, 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 the ability to bring silence, to force silence, is a, is a sign of power, and God has always shown that power. In the physical realm as well as the spiritual realm. 
We talked this morning, Philippians chapter 2. It is at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about this. Jesus has power over the tongue and the mouth. He created it. But someday... By your choice or by his choice, your tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The tongue of those who mock the name of Jesus, who mock the power of Jesus, in this world or in the spiritual world, someday will be silent. And more than that, will confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. The second command that Jesus makes is, come out of him. Oops, wrong voice. Come out of him. That's the Jesus voice. Jesus knows, Jesus knows the destructive power of evil. Evil, think about this, evil always ruins its host. When evil gets in a situation, I don't care if it's a relationship, a family, a nation, when evil takes hold, it ruins the host. Always, every time. The demon, the scripture says, had thrown him down. And, and I know we understand that physically threw him down, but, but I want you to understand that on another level. He, he, the demon, by taking control, brought this man down. Not physically, but made him less than God intended him to be. That's what happened when evil resides. When you see folks who choose evil, if you watch them on their path, what you watch is a downward trend. Always, every time. Always, every time. Evil will not stop until it has the full and total destruction. When we see the instances of demon possession in the scriptures, the demons always exert control over the body. Meaning that they would inhabit, in some way, the mind and the body. Uh, Catch this account from Luke chapter 9. I know we're jumping all over Luke and we're getting ahead to future sermons. Luke 9, 39 and following. Behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Whether it's a boy, whether it's a man, whether it's a per- whoever it is in every instance, when evil inhabits it, it brings it down and it ruins the host. And so Jesus does what good seeks to do, not to destruct, but to construct, to, to lift up. And he, the first thing he's got to do is clear out the demon. In some cases, demons, but in this case, a demon. And again, he, in doing so, when he says, come out of him. He's doing what good always does, is to build up and and make stronger and make better, which is the antithesis of evil, which is always making worse and bringing lower and destroying. So Jesus shows his authority. 
Now, knowing all of that and seeing that short little account, pay attention to what Jesus describes in another story of demon possession. Luke chapter 11. This is fascinating. Um, Luke 11, 20 and following. And this is, again, when they're questioning his authority. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. Now, he's speaking here about the demon. He's entered in. He's taken over. He's fully armed. He's not given up easily. Verse 22. I love this. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. You need to know that Jesus is a warrior. And in every instance, he shows himself stronger than those that he was battling. And this whole encounter makes an impression. What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Is this lesson only for those demon-possessed? You say, well, it's maybe a small audience. We don't see that like we saw that in Jesus' life. I don't think this lesson is, is just in there for them. I think there's a few lessons that we can learn. Let's go through them. I, the, the, the big overall lesson from Luke is this. We gotta be, we gotta be ready. We gotta take this seriously. I was wanting to read this scripture. I know it's not in Luke, but, um, it all ties together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following. Now, this is not speaking to a demon possessed man. This is speaking to us. And Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having And having done all to stand, to stand firm. You think just for a moment. We view this battle from, like I said, ringside seats. Front row, we're watching someone else's battle. But there was a reason the story's in there. It's for us. Because you and I are not just watching the battle, we're in the battle. Every day. 
And Satan is real and evil and absolutely relentless in what he will do. And Paul says, stand firm. But you're going to have to do battle. Continuing. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In a beautiful, powerful, poignant picture, Paul says, you be ready for a battle. Remember the day you first decided to follow Jesus? Maybe it was in a church setting, maybe it was at camp, maybe it was some other, maybe it was in your home, maybe, maybe it was with someone who led you to Christ. We always talk about the commitment level and, and, and the lifelong journey. And in some ways, we need to talk about that, counting the cost and so forth. But I, you all know that when you take that first step of following Jesus, if you keep following Him long enough, The evil one comes to work. It may not be direct possession, but he'll work. He'll work through your friends. He'll work through the world. He'll bring you hardship. He'll bring you temptation. It will work and work. And sometimes the battle just feels unending. And I think sometimes, maybe in, especially in our modern world, because we don't see evil forces, I mean, we don't see people writhing on the ground in direct demon possession, that we sort of ignore it. We sort of assume that it's not happening. But I think that's just battle strategy. If our enemy can work in an unseen way and be just as effective, why not remain invisible? You've watched people, haven't you? Begun their their journey with Jesus and fell away. Why? They're in the battle. They were taken out. Permanently? No, no. You've been in the battle. You wanted to quit. You were tempted to give up. Paul says, stand firm. Be battle ready. And don't give up. It's very important that we 
understand that what happened in this story in Luke chapter 4 is a greater lesson for us about the battle that's happening within us. Seen or unseen, the demonic forces that are real, you need to remember this, that Jesus has the same authority now that he did then. He has the same force and the same power now that he did then. We in Christ must realize that when we are in Christ, there's a battle going on for the soul. A couple things and then we'll close. And this is for those who are in Christ, okay? If you're not in Christ, by the way, it's worse. And you have no protection. You have no authority. I mean, evil forces can work in your life and they fear nothing. You do not have the authority and the power of Christ and His Spirit within you. So if you're, if you're not in Christ, you are certainly not battle ready. But if you're in Christ, a couple, couple things to remember. Number one, remember the battle's real and don't pretend that evil doesn't exist and that it doesn't still work today. And Revelation 12 tells us of this great battle. We're not going to get into all of that here at the end of the sermon, but there is this one verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. That we... We should keep in mind. Then the dragon, this is the metaphor for Satan and evil, became furious at the woman and went off to make war with her offspring. That's us. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Don't take it personal. Satan's after you, not because you're so great, but because Jesus loves you so much. And if he can't hurt Jesus, then the best thing he can do is hurt those Jesus loves. And he'll do anything to get at Jesus. Number two. As we talk about spiritual warfare and the things which happen in in worlds that we cannot see yet, The temptation is, one, to ignore it. May we not do that. But two, is to fear it. To become paralyzed by fear and a bit overwhelmed. John says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you're in Christ, you have the authority and the power and the spirit of him living in you. And that spirit is not just a guarantee, is not just someone to help you pray and to guide you on your spiritual journey. There is someone within you, living within you, who is greater than the one who's in the world. 
The world gets worse and worse every day. Why? Because evil reigns. And we've seen the stories about the tragic, tragic abortion laws that are being passed anew in this country, moving from, moving from just late-term abortion to infanticide. And we stand aghast and say, how on earth did we get here? Oh, oh we haven't seen the hem of the garment yet. Remember when Jesus came into the world, the evil one worked through the government to kill all the babies. Oh, evil's always been at work. And we can look at how evil's at work and be overwhelmed with fear and, and, and overcome by it. But may we remember 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There are battles to be fought. And those who are on the side of Christ have one within them who is far powerful than any evil that can be done and will be done. May we not shrink in fear, but instead do the work that God calls us to do. And third is take the battle seriously. I know we've gotten a little deep tonight, and I know there's some other things going on, but it's most important for the church to take the battle seriously. Be sober-minded, Peter says. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers around the world. That battle becomes real, by the way, when you lose a child or a grandchild to the evil one. When you feel it in your own life. And Peter says, you've got to take that battle seriously. And then, you must resist him and stand firm in your faith in Jesus and not give up. A great deal of lessons we can learn about spiritual warfare, and we've not by any means been a comprehensive tonight. But if you are in Christ, you should know, and hopefully you do by now, that you are in a battle. A very real battle, not only to get at Jesus, but for your heart and for your soul. If you're not in Christ, you're not battle ready. There's no way to be. You should fear greatly. And I don't say that lightly. If you've turned away from Christ, you need to return to Him. He is protective, He is authoritative, He is powerful. But that protection, that authority, that power is only in Jesus. And I beg, if you're away from Christ or if you're not in Christ, to come tonight. I know we do an invitation every time. And you expect the invitation. You begin to put up the books and, and you, you, you kind of feel the thing winding down. But please, if you're not in Christ, don't delay. You're, you're not ready for a battle that will absolutely tear you apart.
and if you're in Christ, especially if you're in the battle, if you're in the valley, don't give up. Stand firm. Remember that he who is in you is far greater than he who's in the world. And if we can pray for you tonight and encourage you tonight, or if you have some other need tonight, let us join with you. Ephesians chapter 6, that whole spiritual battle picture, what does it say? Pray, pray, pray. Why? What's happening when you're praying? You're engaging in battle in a spiritual realm that you cannot see. So pray. And tonight, if you need something, if you need us to go to battle with you, our shepherds will pray with you. We will pray with you. We want to help you. Just don't give up. Tonight, if you have a need of any type, uh, don't hasten. Don't forget. Don't leave here without having dealt with that need. If there is a need, please come together as we stand and sing.